Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, conversations on faith and culture. I'm your host, Sean McDowell, professor of apologetics at Talbot Theological Seminary, Biola University. Our guest today is a friend of mine, Jojo Ruba, who's a friend of Biola, but has a ministry called Faith Beyond Belief in Canada. And we're actually recording this up as I'm speaking at your conference. Both of us are. Both of us are. Yes, that makes sense, doesn't it? As we're at your conference here in Canada, we explored topics that we could cover on this that would interest our audience. And when I asked you, you said, what about lessons that Americans could learn from where Canada is at in terms of religious freedom and socially. So let me just throw it out there and say, broadly speaking, what makes you think that there's certain lessons about where America's headed that we can learn from where Canada is and where Canada's going? Yeah, yeah let me clarify. I'm not saying that we have so much to teach you guys. That's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> of course. In fact, the fact that I'm on Biola's podcast, it's an amazing thing. We love Biola. We like to promote them as much as we can. Uh, but no, we're so much ahead, maybe 10, 20, not, not actually that much ahead, but maybe 10, 20 years ahead of where the States is, is at, culturally, politically, socially. And, and so from the, the Christian perspective, there's much that you can do to prepare for what's going to happen. If the things that are happening here, and there's no doubt, I think, in terms of the trends that you're following us, that it's going to happen in the States as well. So like foundationally, we're now at a point where I think Greg Kokel mentioned this from Standard Reason. He said the battles on abortion and homosexuality, they're just previews of battles about faith and Christianity. Can we actually say that Christianity is true, for example, and not be accused of intolerance? Well, just last year in Alberta, we had a Christian school that was told by their school board, which is a secular school board, but they're a Christian school, that they were not allowed to teach parts of the Bible that were controversial or offensive to people. And this Christian school principal agreed to that statement. Now, thankfully, the board said, no, we're not going to do that. But it it was on the issue of homosexuality, but it was a general ban on anything in Scripture that was considered offensive by anyone else. Oh, keep going. And and, and at this point, the school might even close down because they might be shut down by the school board. Now, from what I understand about Christian schools in Canada, some get funding from the government and some don't. Is yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that's the case. Canada doesn't have a separation of church and state as in the, in the states. And so that's good and bad. Part of it is it's good that we don't have that cl- a club against us in terms of schools. We can still pray in school. But, but in practice, it's almost the same. And mm-hmm. a lot of the publicly funded, so-called publicly funded Christians or Catholic schools, they end up being just as secular even worse because they end up teaching young people that basically your religious beliefs are just cultural practices rather than something that's true. But, but in this situation here in Alberta, we have a unique situation, and I won't go too much into detail, but what it actually says is we have school choice, and, and we're one of the best jurisdictions in the continent to let parents pay for uh, education that they want to able to have. So they, the student gets public funding for stuff that the government mandates. But anything else that they want to do, like religious education, deaf education, sports or athletes, they can have to pay more and they can build a school base around that. Okay. So Christian schools, atheist schools can be built based on that model. Wow. So is the concern that they're getting government funding, the government now gets to dictate what Absolutely. is taught and what is and, not? And, and that's a big deal. But, but the, my point is actually the religious education part doesn't get any government funding. That's what the private okay. 
part of the school uh, that parents have to pay for. Okay. What, what's, what's happened though is the legislation is not just covering this, these kinds of things. Legislation has been passed in Alberta that mandates uh, gay straight alliance clubs, and, and obviously you're familiar with that in California, yep. but these are promotional clubs. We have uh, heard of a pastor, for example, a gay pastor saying to students in a public school that homosexuality is perfectly fine in the Bible at a private club. Uh, and these clubs, the, a new law that just got passed in Alberta again, is that uh, parents don't even have to know if their five-year-old is attending the sexuality club taught by these kinds of pastors and activists wow. who are teaching them that anyone who opposes this legislation wants to out and harm gay kids. So let me take a step back and say, yes. when we look at where Canada's at and where America sure seems to be headed, are the issues primarily over sexual issues and the, body integrity issues? Like, like I said, with, with Greg, if I could Greg, quote Greg Coco again, he, he said, these are just previews. Okay. of the kinds of fights we're getting. So it starts there, absolutely. Mm. But the standard they're using is if it's offensive, it makes people feel bad, then we can ban you. There was another situation out in, in Nova Scotia, out in the east coast of Canada, which is north of Massachusetts, that area. And they had a young man there who's wearing a T-shirt that said, life is wasted without Jesus. And this was about a few years ago. Okay. And he got suspended from his school because the students said that his shirt was offensive for telling them that they were wrong. Wow. Now, the worst part of this, and it's, it doesn't stop there, the government as well as the superintendent of the school, this is what she said, we, we allow students to have religious beliefs. They're, of course, welcome to share. That's not, we're not saying people can't have different religions. We're just saying you can't criticize other people's religions. And, and there was no irony or thought in her mind that if I were to wear that thought on my t-shirt exactly. and walk into her school, that would be offensive to me as a Christian. Right, so, so the lack of apologetics that's coming from the churches, the fact that we don't engage as a Christian community, the, the fruit is being shown in how culture is treating us now. Now, is it fair to say that Christianity is being singled out in this way? Is Islam being singled out? What about conservatives, people like right. Jordan Peterson, who <laughs> yes. right refuses to go along with the line? Well, we're praying that Jordan Peterson finally becomes a Christian, right? <laughs> That's one of the, the things. So, no, well, Jordan Peterson's become a hero because he's pushed back, mm. and he's done it in the right way. And, and even though he probably hasn't heard it, he's heard the, the good ambassador model being thoughtful, focusing on facts, pointing out the contradictions of those who are opponents and realizing people who are transgender are not our enemy. They're, they're the victims. We, we need to help and show grace to them. Uh, I don't know if I guess I could tell you this. I, I, watched, I was actually just at Biola, and I accidentally joined a protest against Biola. <laughs> oh, yes, I did, yeah, yes, I did see your post on this. Yeah, because uh, what happened was I was interviewing a guy who, um, who's associated with people in Biola who was protesting because of the school stance on sexuality, which obviously is a biblical stance. We perfectly agree with it. We'd be actually very upset if you changed your policies on that. And, and he said, why don't you interview me in front of the school? And I'm like, okay, what's going on there? I'm like, oh, oh just, just come. And, and I, when I, I went there, it was actually a protest against Biola's policy on homosexuality. Yes. And I ended up like hanging around, figuring what, what should I should do, not wanting to argue with the people there, but just listening. And, and what was interesting, and it's, it's already there, like in terms of ideas, what, we, what we're seeing is it's, it's legislated here. Uh, they were holding signs that said, bad theology kills. Mm. And I, I thought... Well, that's true, actually. <laughs> that's very true. But in their mindset, they're saying Biola's policies and homosexuality kills gay people. And if that's your mindset, then you're going to create laws that are going to be 
uh, not just detrimental to the church on this issue, but in any issue. Because now your conservative, biblical worldview that tells people that they're wrong, we can actually ban that. We can make it illegal. We can make it hate speech. And just uh, two days ago, in, in, again, in Alberta, I'm, this is where I'm from, so I know much of the laws. I can speak on some of the other provinces. They're planning to ban any pro-life speech, including peaceful prayers, in a buffer zone so huge, you can't even do it on the other side of the street, around the two abortion clinics in our province. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Because the pro-life position actually brings harm to women is the right. reasoning behind it. And the pro-abortion people have deemed any opposition as harassment. So in another town in Alberta, in Lethbridge, they had a bus ad that simply said abortion harms children and had a picture of a fetus. The abortion advocates were saying, well, no, we don't perform abortions after um, viability, which is not true. Abortions, there's no law in Canada. Nine-month-old babies can be legally aborted here. But they lied to the bus ad company where these ads were being placed, and they, sh they took those bus ads down because women were complaining that they might have miscarriages and these ads caused trauma to them. So the idea of freedom of speech when it comes to covering pro-life speech now is being taken away. The, the government is also planning to ban, this also already happened in Ontario, and I can tell you about that situation. Uh, in Alberta, they're planning to ban what they're deeming conversion therapy. Mm -hmm. So in Ontario, uh, what they've done is, uh, it's the largest province in Canada, they've actually banned it and what they've included transgenderism. So any secular counseling, particularly for young kids, and this is where they start and they want to bring it to adults, uh, they want to ban any kind of counseling so that a kid who's, who's gender confused, who's a girl, but if she thinks he's a boy, is not allowed to see a counselor to change her mind. And there was this wonderful clinic in Toronto had an 85, 95% success rate in helping these kids readjust to accept their bodies for what they are. And that clinic got shut down because of legislation. Now, I know things are wow. pretty bad in, 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 uh, in California as well. We've been yeah, following the law right. there. But in terms of ideology, this is the worst part. Churches aren't saying anything. This is my next question mm -hmm. for you. Is the church awake to this? Is the church pretend it's not happening? Is the church moving left? Right. Give me a sense of where the church right. is Right. In Canada, we've always had a strong uh, idea of the, the mainstream churches where the dominant was. And that's obviously changing, particularly because of immigration. The, the immigrants are really the ones who are growing the churches, and they're the ones who are active against these issues. So in Ontario, it's going to be interesting to see because there's a conservative politician who's running now who's actually weaning in urban areas because these are the areas where immigrants, and we're including Sikhs and Hindus and Muslims who are conservative parents, of, are voting him in because they hate the kind of legislation that's being created. The problem is their kids are adopting the values of the culture. So if we don't help them now, the next generation will be lost to us as well. But, but in terms of the church, John, the, the, the issue I, I think for the church is in Canada we've had a mindset that we shouldn't be involved, we're, we're sort of, we, we, we don't want to rock the boat. Mm. There's a, there's a, a, a stereotype that we're really proud of that Canadians are super nice and, and we're really really glad for that because we're not American sorry guys because we're really nice however and, and this is what I point out when I speak to, to churches the Bible never commands Christians to be nice hmm. it commands us to be loving I was speaking at, at another school, and it was uh, on sexuality and gender identity. We have a project called the Identity Project, where we actually help the Christian schools respond to some of this legislation by challenging them to talk about sex from a biblical perspective. And, Sean, you have to see their faces because they've never done it before. 
So what, what I tell them is, look, if you guys don't talk about it and show how good God's design is, someone else will fill that gap, and they're mm. not going to agree with our worldview. So it really is a worldview issue all at of its it heart. Is, all of it is worldview More issue. than anything else. So, Absolutely. So one of the things I'm discovering is the typical barriers, historically speaking, across cultures and differences mm. are kind of fading away. We Absolutely. almost have a global culture now. I experienced right. that in Singapore. Absolutely. You experienced that in South America. Yeah. Experienced that here in Canada as well. What are the core issues when you work with students, Christian kids and non-Christian kids, mm-hmm. that you just find confusion about where they have just bought lock, stock, and barrel into certain ideas in our media and television and mm-hmm. film and music today? Well, one of the, the key things, and I always start off with this, I, I started, as I mentioned today in my, in, or in, in my introduction to one of our speakers, I started in pro-life apologetics and had gotten to Christian apologetics. The reason why that is is because my passion for pro-life hasn't diminished, but when I I spend 45% of my pro-life presentations talking about making the case for truth, making the case for right and wrong, making the case for saying not, not only that truth exists, but it matters, and that the Christian worldview is both true and good, I, I realize, gosh, we need to fix the church first. And that what's happening in the culture is merely the result of what's happening in the churches. Mm. That, that, in terms of speaking to youth, what, what I've been finding is they have this mindset that my opinion matters even if I don't. So what, what I mean by that is uh, if you were to disagree with what I believe, that is an, a personal attack or affront to me. And they can't, confu- they, they can't separate the two. They're confusing the two. So any kind of disagreement on sexuality or gender, for example, becomes now an attack on a gay person. And, and you talk about that all the time. One, one of the key lines I like to use from Sam Alberry from Ravi Zacharias Ministries, who's a same-sex attracted speaker, but who's celibate, he says, my sexuality is not my identity. Mm. And when I share that with young people to say, look, you may not be able to choose how you feel, but you can choose what to do with those feelings. And here's the other thing. You can choose your identity. And by the way, Jesus gives us the best identity ever his own. That gives them a real thought process to think about, to say, now, wait a second, am I just my sexuality or am I made for something more? And that positive response is something they need to hear because the second point, just quickly, is that young people need to know that there's goodness and they need to know where that's grounded in. Even if they don't ask that question, that second part, they're asking the first part. They're, they're told they're good if they do these things. You know, we just had you debate Bar Kempo, which is awesome, by the way. We're looking forward to sharing that with others. And, and if it will, it will have it on our website, faithbeyondbelief.ca. But one of the, the challenges I have with people, talking with people like him, of the social justice warrior type, is their presupposition of what love looks like. Mm. And I was going to share the story. I was up in Edmonton, and I spoke on this project, the Identity Project, and there was a pastor there during Q&A time who was hostile, who wasn't supposed to be there, because I didn't realize wow. he was. Uh, he, there was a part, he was part of a pastor's breakfast that met there, and then he was invited to this event that I didn't realize. And he pushed back and said, look, uh, our church, our denomination has now accepted everybody. We're a loving church. We accept everyone. Love is what's, what matters, of course, implying that we're not loving. And, and so uh, I didn't push back on the issue of sexuality. What I did was push back on his definition of love. And, and, and you know how it always is. You think of a response after the fact. I do that all yeah. the time, just for the record. <laughs> so I, I, I did respond, and I think it worked really well. No, I got mad. It made him think. But this is how I would have responded. I think this is even better. I would have said to him, uh, sir, do, do you have a, lo- a wife who loves you? Hmm. And, and I think he was married. He would say yes. Has she ever corrected you to help you become a better person? Do you think she stopped loving you when she corrected you? So if love is willing to correct 
then love doesn't just accept you for what you are. Love also wants you to become a better person, doesn't it? Man, I bet you wish you could step back and say <laughs> no, like that, don't you? <laughs> I always have those moments afterwards. But your point is powerful. Mm. Ironically, he thinks his position is loving, so he's correcting exactly. you. And you're just pointing out saying, okay, wait a minute. Yes. This is what love does. Right. I find the same kind of conversations. And I oftentimes, rather than debating the particulars of whatever the policy is, right. I want to look at the assumptions and the presuppositions. Absolutely. Because I, yeah. I give the courtesy to people who disagree with me that they're doing what they think is right Absolutely. and what they think is loving. Yes. I want to say, will you give me the same courtesy yeah. and think that I'm at least motivated by love? And, and that's great because that's, exa- that's what young people need to hear as well. They need to be affirmed that they're trying to do something good. Most social justice warrior type people are trying to do good. The problem is their definition of what goodness is. And, and I'm, I'm working on a paper. I'm working on a book, hopefully. And the, the title I have that's working title I think is really good. It's, the title is Redeeming Love. I like it. And, and it's a double entendre. It means both God's redemptive love, but the concept is that we need to redeem the concept of love for this culture, especially on issues of sexuality and gender. And that's what the whole book is about, is apologetics and homosexuality. Because the debate at the end of the day is not about sex. The debate at the end of the day is the character of God. Hey, amen to that. When that book is out, we'll have you back on to talk <laughs> okay, about sounds it. Sounds good. No, I love I, your endorsement if it's good. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. I, I would love to. Let me, let me ask you this. Back to the question of In where Canada, yes. America's seemingly fallen. I agree with you. Yes. Some of the tracks, kind of the secular movement within Canada. Right. If you could go back 5 or 10 or 20 years in Canada, right. what should the church do differently, right. which would apply to what you think the church and even places like Biola should do Absolutely. at this moment? Well, things like... Uh, one of the things I'm just really proud of is doing pro-life apologetics really gave me some practical, uh, concrete ways to practice apologetics. Where you're on the streets every day talking to people, and we're always training people with the standard reason model where we're kind and gentle, and they may hate my pictures. I've had people say that so many times to us. A professor came by and said, I really hate your pictures, but I love talking to you. <laughs> and like, thank Greg Kokel. Right? That's his model. That's and, and that practical approach has really got me a lot of worldview experience. And if we get Christians doing that, learning how to model, how to, to talk about these tough issues right off the bat, even as young people, it blows their minds how much it makes sense once they get so by the way these are pictures of aborted aborted babies babies. you go on college campuses yes you show them people get upset but you engage them graciously to talk about the topics absolutely in fact we we pray for these people before beforehand wow because we're we see them not as enemies but as victims so so one thing and this is what your movement is about across canada is worldview apologetic training but learning how to talk with people in a gracious manner We're on the same boat. That is what Biola is about. I know give, that. That's give me another one the church needs to do, or would that be enough? Well, that's part of it, because uh, there's three things, actually. So you need to provide the truth. You need to show the truth and explain why the truth matters. This is something that we did, we did badly. For example, on the, again, we'll just bring up the marriage issue. We, we debated the issue of, of homosexuality by focusing on marriage, which is great. We should do that, but we should also focus on intimacy and friendship, because hmm. that is something that God offers. The, the idea of, of uh, relationship is both for same sex and opposite sex. God designed us for that. And we want to create a counter narrative to what the culture is saying on these issues that's actually biblical, but also showing that it's good, right? Secondly, you need to show the methodology, just like with the pro-life approach. We want to be able to talk well as ambassadors for Christ. Our motto for organizations, we want to equip effective ambassadors for Christ in everyday conversations, because hmm. those conversations matter. And that, that's the other part, I think, too, is we want to be able to show role models 
to people, people they can look up to, especially young people, to say, hey, that guy has not fallen. He may not be perfect, but he treats me like a human being. Like mm. your dad mentioned last night, we have a relationship, and he actually believes this stuff. That's so important. What happened in Canada is we have a, a, we have wonderful leaders, but no actual, I think, national leaders who are able to say, I actually handle these issues like abortion, homosexuality. I do it well. I do it graciously. And by the way, I do it because Jesus loves you. Mm. That needs to be heard. And so those role models are necessary. Look, it's so important to fight these issues. But when we look to the states and look to other places, oftentimes people don't know how to handle it or they don't want to talk about it. And when that happens, there's no role models, there's no methodology, and then the facts we hear are just it's wrong, but no reasons for it. Mm. That has to be addressed right away, or else you're going the same path we are. That's a, that's a great, great model, so to speak, of things we need to do. Not just God says, don't do this or do this, but the reasons why, especially for a generation that's skeptical right. and has or, a million has voices. Google. They can yeah. Google anything. Yeah, exactly. So how do you balance when you speak to young people? Because we hear people talking about this is a snowflake generation, right. so easily offended, see the world through their feelings. If you say anything wrong, you're going to offend people. Right. But on the flip side, you're talking about some pretty thorny issues Absolutely. with people who yeah. aren't even Christians. Yeah. How do you do it in a way where you get at truth? Right. Are young people wanting to hear this stuff? Are you facing resistance? I'm curious your experience. But, well, right now I speak to mostly Christian schools. So, But even then, we get pushback. I was just doing a set of these But there's talks. a lot of non-Christians oh, at absolutely. Christian schools, a absolutely. ton. Absolutely. No, for sure. But these are some of these people are so-called Christians. And, and I think there, there has to be leadership from the churches. And this means now to be able to clarify what that means. Just because you go to a church, just because you claim this or say you're a really nice person. Like Bark and Polo's definition of Christianity really blew my mind, if I could be honest. Because a lot of it was, let's go help the poor. Well, atheists do that. And frankly, Jesus said to love the poor, to care of them. But loving them doesn't mean you have to make them every make everybody the same class as you. That's Marxism. That's not Christianity, right? But but it, but in terms of speaking to young people, this is what I do. I, I remind them that they matter, not because uh, not because I say so, but because God says so. If they're Christians, but the way that God makes them matter is not by taking their feelings and making it the most important thing. Hmm. Uh, One analogy I like to use is this. Look, feelings are great. God gave them to us. They're not wrong to feel things. But feelings can lie to us. Feelings are like a beautiful flower. If you put them on a vase, they they last a couple of days and then they die. But if you want that flower to thrive, you have to put it in cold, hard dirt for it to survive. That dirt is truth. So truth has to be the foundation for feelings, because when it's the foundation, those feelings will actually be better in the long run. Those feelings will actually matter in the long mm. run. One of the examples I use is there's a T-shirt you can buy on the internet. I think it's on Amazon that says there are more than two genders. <laughs> when you try to buy it, you can only buy it in male and female of sizes, course. <laughs> right? And, and I point this out and I say, look, you cannot escape reality. That's the point. And rather than trying to change reality by your feelings, which is what a lot of these issues do, you have to be able to say, look, at the end of the day, why do I want my feelings to make to matter that much? Isn't it fair to say that you can disagree with someone and still love them? So one, one quick way I do that with students just to get them completely nodding at the start is I ask these teenagers, and you know how this works, how many of them love their parents? And most of them put up their hand, a few are like, eh. yeah. And I ask, how many of you agree with everything your parents believe or say? I had one hand up and one talk, like, I've done this like for five years, five years or so. And I looked and it was really dark and realized it was one of the dads who raised his hand. But oh, none of the kids. So I've never had a kid <laughs> raise their hand and say, I agree with everything my parents said. But then I asked him, okay, well, wait a second then. Doesn't that mean 
that you can love your parents but still disagree with them. Doesn't that mean that you can love people and still disagree with them on these issues? And I start there. And they see it, right? They see it because it's obvious. See, it, that is such an obvious point. Mm-hmm. And yet I found myself with this generation having to go back and point out exactly. things that were obvious a generation exactly. ago. And the way I do it, an yeah. illustration I like is you take a beach ball, push it under the water, and it pops up. Right. So I assume that this generation knows they shouldn't guide their life by their feelings, right. but it hasn't been pointed out to them. Nope. I assume they know there's such a thing as truth. Nope. So we got to take a step back That's right. in how we approach them. Let me ask you this last question. Sure. Where do you get your courage and your boldness from? Now, you're probably talking to pastors, to students, to parents. Right. And I want to frame it this way because there's a lot of people right now in America that are concerned for the future of the church, right. concerned for religious freedom. Mm-hmm. Where does this boldness and confidence come from? And what would you say to people that are a few years behind Canada and need a little shot in the arm to kind of fight the good fight? Well, I had a conversation actually in this church when the young lady who came after, she heard my talk on conversation training. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm a really shy person. I don't know if I can do this stuff. And it was a God thing, of course. And, and, and I asked her this question in return. I said, but do you have any shy friends who are like you? Hmm. And she said, of course. Do you think they'd be more willing to listen to someone like you than someone like me? And she nodded. And I said, look, this is the point. We don't need, as, as you've said many times, it's wonderful we have million-dollar apologists, wonderful we have great speakers out there. But the most powerful thing we can do is be Jesus in everyday conversations and remember that those conversations don't just matter to the person you're speaking to, they matter to God. And so in, in wisdom, I, I look at this, and that's why we've chose this motto, to say anyone can do this. We have 85-year-old ladies and 12-year-old kids who take our worldview <laughs> program, and they come back to us and they say, I can actually just do this. This is great. I'm so encouraged. And, and this is the point. What, what I see in the church, what we're do, trying to do now, what we should have done 20 years ago, is empower young people, ordinary people, to say, I can have these conversations that matter. I don't have to wait for Shamital or Joe Rubo or have all these programs put together or big conferences. I can do it in my everyday life because Jesus did that for me. Jojo, we're grateful for you, your boldness, your ministry. When I came to Canada a decade or so ago, there was minimal apologetics and worldview. Now it's taken off 1,500 plus people at the conference. That's great. So be encouraged. Keep fighting the good fight. Remind our audience really fast your website. Faithbeyondbelief.ca. And we'll put a link that you can find and follow up with all, all of your ministry. Again, thanks for coming on. It's, a, it's an honor My to do this, especially time. from Canada. <laughs> This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, conversations on faith and culture. To learn more about us and today's guest, Jojo Ruba, and to find more episodes, go to biola.edu slash thinkbiblically. That's biola.edu slash thinkbiblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening, and remember, think biblically about everything.